Today's reading is entitled COVID Poem by Laura Kelly Fanucci. When this is over, may we never again take for granted a handshake with a stranger, full shelves or conversations with a crowded theater, Friday night out, the taste of communion, a backup, the school rush each morning, coffee with a friend, the stadium roaring, each deep breath, a boring Tuesday, life itself. When this ends, may we find that we have become more like the people we wanted to be, we were called to be, we hoped to be, and may we stay that way better for each other because of the worst. Thank you, Liz. As the thunder starts, there may be, I'm noticing some stuttering of our internet, but yet this is the challenge, is the challenge we face right now. So with that poem in mind that was written a couple years ago, I want to begin with some other words from a wonderful woman who has become a leader in church consulting and community consulting and coaching a uh, piece of living history, a woman named Susan Beaumont, the Reverend Susan Beaumont who is a uh, American Baptist ordained minister and also a, a best known as a church consultant. And so Susan Beaumont writes, humans cannot live without meaning. The greater our sense of uncertainty, the more desperately we grasp for a handhold, a shred of something purposeful that reminds us of who we are and what we are meant to do. In the heart of a liminal season, liminal meaning in between, when something has ended and we don't know where we are headed, people need help interpreting their past. People also need to know that they are pursuing something that matters now, a worthy work, a shared common cause, or a sense of rootedness to something enduring. Thomas Merton said, humans have a responsibility to find themselves where they are in their own proper time and place in the history to which they belong and to which they must inevitably contribute. Beaumont continues, in the absence of meaning and purpose, people become fearful. Fearful people will attach themselves to anyone who promises to reduce their anxiety. And often this involves attachment to one who promises a return to the past, a promise to restore the glory days of the institution without thinking critically about the ills of that era. Unhelpful attachments to the past do not serve an organization well. These attachments merely prolong disorientation. Those are helpful words to hear this Sunday morning. So let me begin with, uh, it comes from Susan Beaumont's book, How to Lead Where You Don't Know, wh When You Don't Know Where You're Going. It's one of the few church consulting books that I've not consigned to an undusted shelf, never to be looked at after first reading it. It's provided no answers, but rather thoughtful reflections on the time and place that we are in right now. And so let me say it. 
I, as the minister of UUCL, will not promise a return to the past for this congregation. A return to the pre-COVID times. If I did, I'd be lying to you. I'd also be pushing us to ignore incredible opportunities before us. We are one week away, technology willing, and having helpful, committed members and friends aplenty from returning from returning to hybrid services, being in-person and having an online option. Now let me repeat that one part though. We're one week away if we have the help that we need to make it happen. And I don't think once we return that we'll be going to online only after that, unless there's some sort of catastrophic COVID variant or an ice storm. Online services allow us to have church throughout things other than pandemics, which is great. But unless those things were to happen, I honestly think and believe we're going to remain in person. Our task force is going to do it in stages. The numbers will grow in person and soon enough, more and more of us will be comfortable with hugs and handshakes again with consent. And slowly things like potlucks will emerge with more than enough church volunteers happy to help clean up after them. It's not like the doors are flinging wide open, but the doors are opening nonetheless. And you know what? I think I'm elated. I think I'm overjoyed. I'm beside myself thinking that this is possible. I have been waiting for this ever since we thought this would be a two-week occurrence in our lives, or just a month, or a summer, and then a year, and then two years. I'm excited for reasons beyond being able to preach to a sanctuary with people in it again to seeing you face to face. I'm excited beyond the random side conversations we're going to have on Sunday morning, many of which were how you shared what's going on in your life with me. I'm excited for reasons other than seeing this place vibrant and alive again. I'm excited despite our continued technology challenges because I've made peace with the fact that I've reached my limit of my expertise and now it's up to the congregation to make it happen. Despite the worries and fears, I'm still excited. Despite the continued prevalence of COVID-19, <laughs> even if it's less severe for vaccinated and boosted folks, I'm excited. Now don't get me wrong. I want this place to be filled with people again. But most of all, I'm excited about what is possible for this congregation. Now that's a total minister response, right? Of course I'm excited, the minister's excited. That's something we say, but let me flesh it out a bit. Susan Beaumont is absolutely right. We cannot return to who we were. We need to discover who we want to be after this pandemic. This is a prime time for a church to have a revival. Not a hooping and hollering tent revival, unless that's what you really want. My hooping skills are really out of date. No, instead, this is a revival of community. A renewal. Breathing in fresh air, letting the return to our grounds and space wash over us, and making our online services still accessible to people who need them. It almost sounds like a baptism when you talk about it that way. But really, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's a UU version of a baptism without the talk of sin. Because my greatest hope for all of you as this UUCL community is to return 
and to emerge from this pandemic anew. Now, if you're a little bit of a cynic like I can be, I know you're thinking, yes, Brian, that's great. We're coming back, but you're going on sabbatical soon. (laughs) Well, yeah, I am. And I think this is a time for the church to discover that it has everything it needs. I love being your minister, but I also know this church has it within its power to fulfill its mission while I'm gone. Because I've seen that over this pandemic time. I really have. And if you've paid attention these past two years, you know what this congregation has accomplished during this pandemic. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you are especially fortunate this morning. Because you not only get to be a part of the revival of this community, but you get to be part of the personal revival in your heart and mind. You are invited to reconnect, to be more than a spectator of this community and this faith but to become an engaged steward, a caretaker, a friend, a member, a Unitarian Universalist living out your values in community. The opportunities before us are immense, and here's but a few. Before the pandemic, this congregation was struggling with how to welcome new members, get them engaged, and practice radical hospitality. We had a handful of people pouring their hearts and souls into this question but it cannot be just a handful of people. It cannot be something that just the staff or the welcoming welcoming team makes happen. It has to be every single one of us. It has to be, or else we are not the welcoming community we say we are. It's time for us in this return to share our excitement with people who visit with us, to get our message out there, to no longer be afraid to say we are Unitarian Universalists because our message is one that has saved lives and will save lives still. It's a message that gives people a place to be comfortable, to be vulnerable, to be challenged, to authentically be themselves. It's a message that breaks down the barriers surrounding us and says, great, you can be divisive over there, but we are going to act on the side of love, living our values and celebrating them in community. And if that doesn't fire you up, ask yourself why you're here. Before the pandemic, this congregation was struggling with figuring out how to care for one another. We say we are a caring community, and yet I often hear about concerns around care as if they're everyone else's problem except the person sharing them. As if it's just a staff member's problem. Or the person who makes casseroles, their problem. Or just the minister's problem. But no. I'm here to listen. I always will be. I'm here to support. And I will be. I'm here in the good and the bad, but now is the time for each and every person to be actively engaged in the care of this community. I would even go so far as to say that committing to at least one area of care in this congregation, whether it's giving rides, giving phone calls, sending cards, preparing meals, visiting someone, dog walking, feeding cats, whatever, the list could go on and on. I think committing to at least one thing you can do for members of this community and friends of this community should be a requirement of being in this community. And I know, oh my God, the minister said the word require. Oh boy, I can't force people to do anything. But again, if you have no interest in caring for a community that you're a part of, why are you here? Before this pandemic and during this pandemic, I could list off the same 50, 60 people that are involved in everything out of 300. 
This is the time for you, if you haven't already, to engage. If you don't know how, ask someone. If they don't know, ask me. If you want to sign the membership book and haven't, be in touch today. A church will never come alive if we sit around waiting. This church was vibrant before and during this pandemic. Yes, that is so true. But it could be abundantly vibrant. And it requires us to be active, not passive. Here's just a few things of what I mean by that. The $300,000 stormwater grant we received to make improvements to our property, that wasn't something that fell into our laps. It was due to the passion and drive of one member saying, let's try this. And soon enough, it became several members. And now it's the entire congregation who voted, let me remind you, to do what it takes to fund this initiative. The eighth principle did not suddenly appear overnight. It didn't come from Boston saying, you must obey. It was one of our young adults having a conversation with me and then the board, gathering a few folks for support and a few more. And then the congregation voted overwhelmingly in favor of adopting it. We were amongst the first 20 congregations to adopt the eighth principle. Now there are over a hundred. And now it's been officially adopted to the Canadian Unitarian Council. All it took was asking if it was possible and having the love and drive to ask in the first place. Our Partners for Racial Justice wasn't my project. It wasn't something that was forced on us. It was the cohorts who finished Beloved Conversations, which, if you don't know, is a curriculum for you use to talk about race and explore issues of race. It was those cohorts from Beloved Conversations asking, what's next? And asking, how about this? And here they are, still, not without their struggles and adaptive challenges, but they are good challenges. All because people wondered and took that wondering into their own hands and made it happen. Joining BUILD, building a united interfaith Lexington through direct action, and becoming the first interfaith partner of that organization was not some decision made on a whim. It was because a group of members talked about how we could get more engaged in the community, how we could partner with other congregations who might believe radically different than us, but still unite behind a passion for justice. And here we are, a part of BUILD because passionate members decided to be stewards of our values. Sponsoring a refugee family during the pandemic, one member asked for support, and suddenly a whole team of support spending hundreds of hours helped a family settle in Lexington, Kentucky. All because there was drive and passion, and this is so important, realizing it never hurts to ask. We could keep going, right? Pollinator gardens. Monarch waste stations, rain gardens, all driven because people asked. And as always, I'm going to leave things, things out, right? Because there are many. But just imagine, imagine for a moment, imagine what is possible. Not every idea grows wings and flies, nor should they all. And maybe the answer is not yet. But our job together in collaboration is to imagine what we can do, what we can support, what is within our reach. Because slowly or sometimes rapidly, that idea that we thought was impossible or too far off is suddenly right there, right there, waiting to come alive. We've lived in what people like to call 
a liminal time, an in-between time. Now, the staff are probably smirking at themselves because they've heard me rant and rave about the word liminal. I'm tired of hearing it. <laughs> I find that the people that often talk about the joy and wonder of being in a liminal in-between space are the ones that don't have to suffer the anxiety and the fear of being in it. And most of us have experienced that fear, that anxiety, that disappointment, that tension, that languishing, et cetera, et cetera, the loss, the grief, whatever it has been for you, we have experienced it. And even though things are about to change, there is still uncertainty. There is always uncertainty. Make peace with that. Buddhism teaches us that very easily. As a minister, I'm supposed to say, that's okay. But that's not enough. At the beginning of this pandemic, many of us reflected. You shared with me, I shared with you, we shared on Sunday mornings, we shared in breakout rooms, we shared on phone calls and hundreds of Zoom meetings. We shared that we didn't want things to go back to the way they were. That the pandemic taught us something about slowing down, reassessing our culture of overwork and busyness of the importance of Sabbath time, of rest, of spiritual practice and self-care, of spending time with the people that matter to us and doing things that we want to do, things that make us come alive. Now, I really hope we meant it. I really do. I hope we meant it not just in our personal lives, not just in our family lives, but in the life of this congregation too. Because here's the reality, some things will not come back. They might not. Some people might not come back and we'll wish them well. We've lost people during this time as well. And it may finally hit us that we won't see them again. Beloved, wonderful people. Some programs, some events, some traditions, some thorns in our side have been mere whispers for over two years. Maybe we let them remain whispers. The task before us always, but especially now, is yes, to look at our past, honor it, but not get ensnared by it. To always let our past be a reminder of not how things were, but how people before us lived out their own passions and dreams, because we have passions and dreams too. It's not that our meaning and purpose as a community vanished during COVID, as we heard in Beaumont, right? It's that it became less tangible. Embodied community requires embodied meaning. And many of us discovered that virtually and some of us waited. I think all of us had a part that waited and wondered. The opportunity before us is to not be afraid. Easy enough. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah, I wish that worked. Instead, we are to delight. Delight in what is possible because we are a living tradition. Living, right? That's the word. That's the key word. Living, not dead. Even Christianity talks about living water that gives life. Islam, the well of Zamzam that inspires and nourishes millions to live out lives of kindness and service in the world. Buddhists speak of awakening and living authentically. And we could go on and on. Trees of life, wells of inspiration, spanning across traditions. And for us, our tradition offers symbols of life abundant. The flaming chalice that is kindled week after week. And right there, right there in our principles, 
symbols on our hymnals, on our hearts, living tradition. Asking ourselves why we are here is a neutral question. If we find ourselves bristling at that question, great, that's excellent. Ask yourself why. If you find yourself laughing at that question because the answer is clear as day, excellent. Share that joy, share that excitement, share that clarity with others. The time before us is not one of fear. It's not one of clinging to the past. It's one where we start to emerge from what we've endured with magnificent resilience. We build upon what is good. We honor the past and we go bravely into the future. What it means to be church is up to you, the members and friends of this congregation. Knowing that, believing that, seizing that and making it real and tangible, that is the only revival this community needs. So, as we begin to emerge, hopefully, for the last time. How will you bring this community to life? How will you re-engage? If you've done nothing but engage, how will you pass the baton? What are the possibilities waiting for all of us? Your answers are what will make this place thrive abundantly, radiantly, as it always has. But now the opportunity is yours. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen.